You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I have this theory about when I play. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But when I play guitar, I, I kind of go for the juggler. <laughs> that's, that's how I think of it. You know, it's like I always... I want to go for the most insane thing that I could possibly do, but not not to the point where uh, it's going to be annoying. But, you know, I've, I've had, you know, throughout my life, I've always been a, a fast player, you know, especially back in the 80s. I could t- tell you stories. I mean, th- this program could go on for five hours. I could tell you things in my past, how many it can. I've done. That I, and how many close calls to success that I've had. It's been insane. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Siobhan Cronin. Welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm here with Benny Goodman and Corey Peza, as always. How's it going, What's guys? Up? It's good. I am good. so excited because this time I got to meet one of our bandmates, Jimmy Bell, who has been on Lost Symphony, all three records, also of Autograph, House of Lords. It's, it was such a pleasure to talk to him and just hear his story, and I'm excited for everyone listening to listen to him. Yeah, one of the most like impressive guitar players I've ever seen in my entire life, and especially from someone in, you know working in Lost Symphony, that says a lot. <laughs> in the words of of you know of Sully Erna when he saw Shannon Larkin first play drums, he's like, "I should take my uh, drumsticks and put them in a wood chipper." If you watch <laughs> Jimmy Bell, like just go through takes. You're just going to say, but why do I ever need to do anything ever again when this 63-year-old band's walking 15 miles a day, writing more music before you wake up than you'll ever write for your entire life, and being like, it's no big deal, it's fine. Insane energy, so definitely check it out, part one with Jimmy Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Benny Goodman, and I'm here with my cohort and partner in crime, Corey Peza, because Siobhan Cronin is under, uh, she's trying to break the chains of Dusted Bates of Starset, who's whipping her into shape for tour, because, you know, you can't go and witness Starset unless there's something to witness, and let me tell you, it takes a while to get to the level to where Dustin wants you to witness it. So, that said, Corey, how are you, brother? I'm good. And in other words, Siobhan has more important things to be doing right now than that. Uh, yeah, than she's getting paid. <laughs> and, and and speaking of not getting paid, we have one of the most amazing, like this, let me just preface this. This this is my personal guitar hero. I mean, I've, we've talked to a lot of amazing guitarists, but as far as somebody that when I wake up in the morning, because he's up at like 3 a.m., he's up before any human being, <laughs> that scares me. Like literally like before you even drink your coffee, this dude is going at 3000 BPM, just playing these Brian Setzer arpeggios, like totally clean, like in his bedroom. Jimmy, Jimmy Bell, the best lefty in the freaking world. The, plays an autograph, <laughs> plays in Lost Symphony. He plays in, uh, uh, in, in, uh, House of Lords, House of Lords yeah. Max Explosion, uh, Beyond Purple. He's just, he's, was in a movie with Michael J. Fox. He he, he was runner up to Zach Wilde, though he destroys him right. for Ozzy Osbourne. All right, all right, all right. He's just amazing. Right, right. Le- easy, le- leave yourself somewhere to go in this. <laughs> but I'm very excited to see Jimmy. I'm. It's great to see you again. I I miss being in that room with you guys. That we, uh, we that had a lot studio. Of, we had, we a, had a blast in there. <laughs> I think we made some magic. You you uh you yeah, you quite brought, a few. You guys brought out some. Uh, some really amazing stuff out of me. I, I, I have to admit when we, um, when Benny called me to do the, the project, uh, you know, I, I like being upfront with people cause I don't like to waste people's time. You know, I said to him, I said, you know, Benny, I'm not that, that style of music isn't quite what I do. I'm a, I'm a, a shred player, but I'm more of a blues shred player. You know, I do this and, and, you know, Benny was calling me, you know, you, you know, you know how he is, you know, he's on, he's on 15 we, we, we know. all the time. So, um, 
I, you know, he, he said, you'll do fine. You'll do fine. You know, we got Corey. He's going to direct you. So, and I don't mind taking direction from somebody. If so, you know, that's the thing you got to be uh, able to take. Like if somebody, when I, I've worked with a lot of producers and I will let them tell me if they like something or not like something. And I'm not going to say to them, well, what do you mean you don't like it? You know, uh, right. you know it's not like that. It, you're, these guys are trying to, they have different ears than you. And they're trying to draw something out of you that they want to, they want to hear on a record. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Uh, one time I got, uh, you know, uh, the drummer, uh, Tommy Price, he played with for Billy Idol and Joan Jett and everything. He was, uh, he was doing a solo record and uh, he had me come to New York. He was, yeah, he was doing a solo record. And I literally went into the studio. I was playing all this amazing stuff warming up. And, and I remember most of the things that I ended up doing were all just dive bombs and squeals <laughs> on my guitar with, you know, noises. Well, I mean, I don't even know if the record ever came out, but that's what I ended up, you know, recording a lot of. So it's just like, hey, whatever you want, that's, well, you know, I'm, that's what I'll give you. I'm very glad that we have you doing quite a bit more than dive bombs on the Lost Symphony records. Uh, oh, yeah. You put down some friggin' amazing amazing parts well, that was fun. i i gotta tell you guys you know between uh uh especially you Corey. i i mean between the two of you you really drag some really amazing stuff on me uh and that's what it's all about i wanted to just give you i wanted to give you what you want but i wanted it to be me still yeah. you know i wanted it to uh reflect my playing and and what i do in my style and you know my style is is very different than a lot of people's style of playing. You know, um, I, I have so, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, you know, that, that there's there's the Ingves, you know, the neoclassical guys. And there's all these other real monster players. But I've never followed anybody's footsteps, you know, like I won't sit and I, I, I don't sit and learn solos note for note, uh, you know. Uh, I, I know so many guitar players that are amazing that can sit and play a Nuno solo, no for note, or an Eric Johnson, or uh, or an Ingve. You know, it's that's not what I do. I take, I'll hear something and I'll take elements from it, and and then I'll build, I'll create something of my own from it. Well, the as thing that's to that, to copy. that's way better about you is that you don't have to copy Nuno or Ingve. Like you sound like Jimmy Bell. In fact, my favorite thing about you being on all three Lost Symphony records is. Paul Lorenzo and you have something in common. You completely forget what you've done after you've done it. So Paul will come in and he'll just lay down these genius drums and like six months later, you'll play him a song. He'll be like, that's me. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds like me. Oh, that's cool. Wow, you put a lot of stuff on that since then. Every single time Paul comes into the studio and I'll play him a mix I played him 700 times. He'll be like, who's that? And it's always you. Like He knows like, like oh, that's Marty Friedman. Like, but he's all... But you come in, you have a ferociousness to your picking that is so distinguishable that to, to lump you in and say, hey, I, I can play Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson or I can play Trilogy Suite by Ingve Malmsteen. That's too dumbed down for you. Like the thing that I, I, I loved about you when I first saw you is you're right. You don't have like all these crazy techniques where you've learned how to do these sweet picking. You do everything the hardest way possible <laughs> and it's forced you <laughs> to have the fucking craziest technique. The only way I can describe it is that when you go on YouTube, there's like a video of some dude that like took, got Steve Morse over to his house and like got Steve picking super fast where he's like skipping strings and doing all this weird hybrid crazy picking and I literally have video of my phone near where you're play picking and you can seriously smell the burning of the strings from my phone <laughs> when we watch you it doesn't yeah. even look it doesn't look human it looks like Corey sped it up and when we have all of our demo reels, if you watch at lostsymphony.com, there's millions of videos. We always end with you because it's always just like Jimmy Bell on the headstock because you're so ridiculous. Even if you have Marty Friedman or Nuno Betancourt or Kelly, it's still like whatever Jimmy just did, that's silliness. Yeah. And you need to end the fucking song with that. Uh, I, well, I'm telling you, like I said, you guys brought out so much uh, uh, gr really amazing uh, thought out playing from me things that I normally don't do and that's what I need I'm, I'm not perfect I'm not a perfect guitarist I and I don't mind taking guidance guidance is 
well, is only going to help me. Yeah. We are, uh, you know we are, it, we're, if yeah. you're, you know, not perfect, we are so f- much further from perfect than you. But what Ben and I talk about this all the time, working with you and also Matt LaPierre, you, you, you were Matt, the guitarist. Same that thing. We, we got to actually hang out in the studio with you guys and work these parts out, which was unique for Lost Symphony because a lot of the times people would just kind of send us stuff remotely. Um, right. So it was such a treat to sit in the studio with you, uh, and Ben and I would kind of be able to play out like our guitar fantasies through your fingers. You know, we'd be like, "What if you went like?" Well, you know, my favorite we could thing never, is Jimmy. Won- we could never do. He's in the studio, <laughs> and he just sees this little shiny object. He goes, "Is that a slide?" And then, then Corey looks at me. He's like, "He could do the slide. We'll, we'll do the slide." And you're like, can I, "Can I try the slide?" And you're like, "Betty, the slide fits my finger perfectly." And then next thing we know, you're doing like 15 part slide. Uh, uh, oh, like harmonies underneath his already insane solo. I remember you looked at me afterwards, like Benny, can, can I keep this slide? I'm like Jimmy, it's all yours, bro. Like you could, you could yeah, keep it, I man. Didn't get it. I'll never, I'll never. It. But you don't have the slide. Benny hit it on me. <laughs> it's on his finger. Is right this now. it? Is this it? No, just... Hi guys, it's yours. Hey, welcome, Trevon. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, after all the mad rush of of starting, here I am, the late one. Starting from okay. Starset. So, starting from Starset. Hi, Jimmy. It's so nice to meet you. Sorry to Hi, like. Nice it's... to meet you too. Finally, I was I was really looking forward to playing our show together uh, last year, and I know, of course, everything got crazy. But uh, uh, here you are now, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for joining us, crazy people. It's one of those crazy things where, you know, we've been playing music together for years, and this is the first time. Three albums in, guys. This is the first time you two have ever talked. It's amazing. I know. It's wild. (laughs) Well, and the funny part, Siobhan, you backed me up to this because Jimmy, like, first off, Jimmy, one of the things I hate about you is you're such an old man where you're like, dude, (laughs) I only play blues. I only play blues. I don't play any of this classical shit. Like, I'm sorry, man. I just don't do it. And then meanwhile, Siobhan, who understands everything about music, is like, no, he actually does really cool classical art. Arpeggios. And what he did there was a very, very interesting Lydian thing. Kind of reminds me of like this, this Brahms. And you were like, oh, I just play blues. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not just blues what you're doing, but I don't know better. So it's Siobhan cool. can tell you, you don't just play blues, Jimmy. You don't just well, play no, blues. You know what's weird? I I, I, I love the way <laughs> Siobhan plays. I go, I go nuts when I listen to her play. But oh, you got to understand, I'm self-taught. So... Uh, you know, I took maybe just a couple lessons. So if someone, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know the names of the modes. I don't know if that. Well, I mean, I could tell you the modes. Like I, I, I've heard of Dorian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, but I wouldn't be all this. If someone said play a Dorian mode, uh, yeah, but if I, I said would, play like cashmere, would you know what well, to do? See, the thing is, is I know how to. I know what works. Like I used to sit and play. Uh, you know, here's what I, this is how mental insanity that I would do everything. I would play, say, an open E, just an open E note, boom. And I said, okay, I'm going to figure out every single scale I can, that I can fit over this one note. And, and I came up with all these crazy, crazy things that will, that even if they, they really clash, like tones that would clash, but it would Dissonance. still work. And anything that had... Uh, an, an E in it, and now I'm finding things that don't even have an E note in it, and I, I can force that over the over the top of that in a in an E major uh, sound, which is insane. I, I I I just you know this is what happens when you wake up at four in the morning and drink a, a coffee like this <laughs> and you start practicing. This is what I do every day. You yeah, are truly you know? like the energizer bunny. And I love for anyone that isn't following you have, they have to check you out because like I wake up and it's just like Jimmy Bell shredding at four o'clock in the morning and I'm like barely yeah, awake. Yeah, so it's, you, it's and he's on mile 11. The Facebook. Yeah, he's already posted are, a video. He's already posted a video of himself playing better than you'll ever play in your entire life. Not even your Japanese children that have been beat since they were three. <laughs> like not even those kids play better than this dude. And then by the time you're watching this, he's already on mile 11 going back to where I was when I was 17 and he's 60. He looks like he's fucking 30. I can't even freaking believe it. I'm sorry I outed your age, but Jesus Christ, Jimmy. Oh, like, I don't got 63. I, fr- you, I don't care. <laughs> see, yeah, you've reversed age since I've met you because when I met Jimmy, you're, you were always a good looking dude, but now you literally look like you've become a full-blown rock star. Like you just well, look I, like uh, you should have always been this man, this fucking majestic rock god. I, I just, you know, it's it's crazy, Benny. I got to tell you, over to, you know, uh, 
ever since joining, you know, I've done, you know, I've played all over the world, okay, you know, with House of Lords. I've been everywhere, Japan, everything. And um, it, it's, I, I really missed performing. The only problem that happened with, uh, that, that's with House of Lords is that we, we didn't perform enough. So um, I would, we would go to Europe for, uh, you know, two and a half, three weeks, maybe a month. And then that's it. So I start coming into my own on stage and really getting comfortable. And all of a sudden it's, it's done within a, a, a couple of weeks. And then it's another record time. Um, with Autograph, you know, since, uh, uh, you know, since COVID sort of uh, calmed down a little bit, um, but unfortunately it's, you know, starting to go up again. But, uh, you know, at the beginning of June uh, and I started performing every weekend with them, um, literally, it's like you come into your own so much. You just start really, uh, I, I, every show I've been getting more and more comfortable on stage, <laughs> more and more comfortable with the band. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot to be said about performing live. You know, every musician has their favorite thing. It's either like, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, I, I love playing live or they prefer being in the studio. Um, uh, whether they like intimate <laughs> settings or massive crowd, you know, some people are, are totally different. I, you know, I, I get off on all of it. Every single, if it has to do with playing guitar, I don't care what it is. That's all. <laughs> that's awesome. Just, well, that's, right. Yeah. You're right though. There's a lot to be said for like getting in the rhythm. You know, that's one thing about touring that a lot of non-touring musicians don't necessarily get is it takes a while to really feel comfortable with the rhythm of the, the pace of traveling and new stages every day. And it really does take a while. If you're just, just doing three weeks, it's like by the time you get comfortable, you're done, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It, it, that's exactly <laughs> what happened all the time. Like, you know, two weeks, as soon as two weeks was over, we're going, yeah, we're on a roll. And then before you know, a, a week and a half later, the tour is over. It's like, you know, come on, let's let's keep going. Let's keep going. But, you know, financially, uh, a lot of it doesn't work. I'm really this is what I really like about being an autograph, you know, uh, fly out every weekend uh, and, and fly home. You know, so there's something to look for. You know, you play two shows or one show, whatever it is. Uh, and it's really just gotten so comfortable with them so it's it's great but i'm That's you know awesome. i'm doing all kinds of things i got another house of lords record i got to do i, I found I, the singer had called me finally got in touch with me after two years and <laughs> it's funny that that camp's always a little funny he just he didn't say he didn't say like hey jimmy i haven't talked to you in a long time how you doing or anything it was just like it's all business all the time Hey Jimmy, uh, Frontiers wants another record. Uh, can you uh, <laughs> can you start sending material? It's like, oh hey, how you doing? <laughs> right, that's funny. Oh my gosh. On that note, Jimmy, are you ready for another Lost Symphony record? Because we need you. You're you're one of the few people that's on all three. Because and by the way, another trick to working with Jimmy Bell because Jimmy also like Paul when he first hears something that's complicated, he'll be like, oh I can't do that. No. No, that's not that's not me. And so you just like, kind of like fool him, like and you give him like three or four takes, frustrate him, then take him to the easy song. Then the next time he comes down, play him the same song, and he'll be like, hmm. And he knows it in the back of his head, but it's like the first time. And then he'll play on it. So like on decomposing composers, the song that he plays on on chapter three, one uh, one of my favorite favorite Jimmy Bell solos. He's like, I can't, I don't do this classical thing. I so the next time he came down, which was months later, I played him the same song, and he's like. Jeff Loomis played on this. All right. And then the thing that's great is you don't even play, you don't change even in time with the chord changes. You just free flow solo over it. And it's so Van Halen where it's like, I don't care. You're right. I'm just going to hit whatever the right notes are at the right time. But like if it was anybody else, it would be a horrible fuck up because it's Jimmy <laughs> Bell. It's literally flawlessly perfect. <laughs> I like to take chances. I, I you know, that that's the thing. I'm not afraid of taking a chance and it doesn't work. That's why, you know, I look I look around, you know. I hey, I've had people tell me they don't like the solo. Even I told you what well, I did that I did that thing for you for Mark Lopes record. Well, Mark and, Lopes uh, doesn't like anything the first time. Have you ever well, met no, him? But I mean, the first. I love thing, Mark, but he didn't like me the first fifteen times he met. Me. I don't think he likes All me. Right, now. He's still talking, Ben. Calm down. <laughs> Sorry. No, Very no. What excited. I'm saying is, I, you know, I did, I did a solo at your at your house for that record. I, I said, oh, by the way, while I'm here, can I do this? And uh, I didn't really work it out. I didn't sit with it too much. I just started, you know, blown over it. 
And, and I, I, we sent it and, you know, Mark got back to me. He goes, it's good. But, you know, and, and when somebody says it's good, but <laughs> that right there, I know. Well, but hold on. In your defense, trying to be nice. The project that to give some people like an idea, the project that you worked on was Let Us Pray, which is Mark Lopes project. And yeah. it's really, really difficult mind fuckery heavy metal and it was in like heavy. i think 12 so first off you one of the things you said at first to me was like i only play it four and i'm like <laughs> but 12 is just four times three and you're like i don't know what that means just count it for me and <laughs> that so i knew from the very beginning we were doomed because you weren't feeling the 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 time because he deliberately writes stuff to be almost uh, like it's supposed to make you upset and that's the song because it's supposed to it make you uncomfortable almost with the time signature you're not used to this i'm not used to this so i'm sitting there counting to you like you can yeah, only be I so things, you got you got to remember my when i tell when, every interview that i do if somebody says what's your favorite band i always say acdc <laughs> that's you know there's nothing better than a two four beat to me and like so <laughs> That's I hear you. That's what I, I like. That. You know, I I like all ACDC songs. I can sit and listen to ACDC all day, and and I, if I could write uh, write all songs like that, but uh, you know, play guitar the way that I do through those songs, you know, a little bit more shredding than what Angus does. I I would do that because that's just the music I like. Jimmy, I yeah. will start that band with you if you want. I'm okay, one hundred percent down. Well, <laughs> drums for that band. Uh, well, along those lines, those songs on the on the next Lost Symphony, you'll be surprised. Yeah. You might we might get a hit record off of one of these. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to say that I love about your playing is it is it feels so natural and like you do always pick the perfect <clears> notes. And I have the opposite problem. You know, I'm like so in the locked into understanding technique and theory that I get very much like put in a box because I get stressed out by like knowing the rules. And I love that you're just like free form, but your solos are incredible. How did you develop your style being self-taught? Like, where did you start? And like, how did you kind of find that voice, not having a teacher and like figuring it out on your own? It, it was, you know, I, I did a lot of hit or miss. I, I'm going to tell you a funny story. You're, do we have time? Do we, uh, oh, yeah. We got all day. Oh, we have. <laughs> Half. Okay. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I had it in my head, you know, the first off I was a drummer. Okay. Which explains a lot of why I like working with drummers and, and why I like, I, I listen to drums very, very, um, you know, when I'm listening to a song, I lock in with drums to find out what's going on. Like I'll, I'll try to do something with the drummer all the time. But, um, so I was jamming with them and they, um, you know, I was in junior high and the guitar player just left his guitar at my house and um, he left it out of the case against the amp. So I, you know, I picked it up after they left and this was in the seventies. He had a big muff fuzz, you know, and I turned on that old <laughs> big muff fuzz and I hit the low E string and I just fell in love with guitar instantly. And I dropped, I had a drum scholarship. I dropped my <coughs> drum scholarship and went right for the guitar. It never left my hands. And on the record player that they brought over was um, a Johnny Winter record. It was called Johnny Winter and it was a live album. And it was it had Rick Derringer on it, a very young Rick Derringer. And I heard Johnny Winter play. And even though he's a blues guitar player, the way that he played, he had so much fire. He was playing all these like really fast, uh, cool uh, blues things. And that's where I fell in love with guitar. But in my mind, I had it implanted in my hand, in my head, to be a good guitar player, you had to be a fast guitar player because that's what impressed me. I heard Johnny playing fast stuff. So it was the fast thing that impressed me. So I started out not knowing anything, getting a guitar and just going as fast as I could on one <laughs> string. So the songs either had to be an E B or G, because those are the only high strings that I had to just keep going up and down the fretboard on one string. <laughs> yeah. And then I discovered Richie Blackmore. Um, and Deep Purple changed my life. So uh, I started trying to learn a few things. And of course, back then, it, these kids have it so easy. I can't even tell you what, what I had to do to learn how to play guitar. No computer no any you know any learning tools whatsoever i had literally a record player with three speeds on it 
I used to take the record and slow it down to speed 16 and it would go like trying to learn Richie Blackmore licks with the thing going sounding like that because I'm trying to pick up his phrasing and it, it would drive me insane. But that's how I had to learn. I had to learn how to do things like that. And it all came from the ear. Um, so what happened is I, I kind of like, you know, I had Johnny Winter. I had his arsenal uh, in my head, you know, and then um, I discovered Richie Blackmore and a guy showed me uh, some pentatonic patterns. And so I started practicing those a lot and just trying to go across the strings as fast as I could with two notes, you know, blah, 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 you know, trying to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I developed this style. I didn't really know exactly what I was playing. I started doing three note per strings. Um, I knew that sounded right, but it wasn't really a scale. Then this uh, one teacher had showed me a bunch of patterns. He gave me, you know, uh, the seven major scale patterns. And then he gave me harmonic minor and melodic minor. So I practiced those patterns straight across and learned a couple other scales from them. And then I dropped it. I said, it was kind of like, okay, I got what I need. I, this is, <laughs> this is what I needed. You know, I got this tool. This is what I wanted. So I started just putting together all this stuff. And then, um, I discovered Al Miola from, uh, uh, he was playing with Chick Corea, you know, and uh, and that whole thing is how I created my style. And I started listening to a lot of Al Dimiola on, on how his phrasing was and certain things. So basically, my fast picking and everything came from Al Dimiola, uh, along with some crazy Richie Blackmore stuff. But then I, I still have the real heavy influence of of uh, Johnny Winter. So if I take, I took like those three players and, you know, smushed them together. And then later on, you know, uh, when uh, Eddie Van Halen came out, uh, I, I, I heard eruption and I, I was listening to the end part. And I said, there's no way this guy's playing this like with a pick or anything. There's something it, I, cause I heard it going around in a circle. And I remember that this guy, uh, I had saw Rick Derringer do this trick where he pulled a string and he, and he hit, hit the note with his finger uh, on the fretboard. So I said, wait a minute, that's got to be it. So I, I found one of them, you know, and I started doing it. Literally, no lie, the, the, the uh, Van Halen 1 debut record had come out. One week later, I was playing Eruption. And I blew people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blew, and nobody, like, so you're a lot like of Marty McFly going into the enchantment <laughs> under the sea dance in 1955, you're 1963, ES335, to play some Chuck Berry. And, and they're all just sitting there with their mouth agape going, and, and he just says, Well, maybe you're not ready for that yet, but your parents are going to love it. It was that. Your kids. It was the, kids. It was whatever. exactly that. Yeah. It was. It was weird. I'll never forget when I first when it first came out. I I learned it just the tapping part, and I did. I used to do this. They used to let me do a solo with this band, so I did this you know mental picking thing, and then I went into that, and everybody was just looking at me, and at the end of my solo, uh, the guys in the band they were all older than me. They never saw this. Everybody lit their cigarette lighters in the club. And gave me a a, a, a torch, you know, <laughs> all, all for <laughs> finger tapping, ladies and gentlemen, so because there was no YouTube. Okay, so yeah. can I tell you, no, Jimmy, you'll appreciate this, this for because real. I, on the neurotic guitarist, I just did a video for Randy Rhodes, and you're gonna you're gonna find this story adorable because I heard the Randy Rhodes Ozzy Osbourne tribute record before I heard Eruption. So I was a Randy guy, like for real, like as far as internalizing who he was before I really was like, Eddie Van Halen's amazing. I, I, I just was. That's that's how I learned. My parents didn't teach me any of this. So when I heard Suicide Solution and, you know, all that stuff and when he does his first tapping and all that, it was the same feeling to me. I was like, how is he do? What is he doing? What's going on? So when Eruption came on the first time on WAAF in Boston, it was during the Opie and Anthony show. I called WAF and waited on the phone and Opie and Anthony actually picked up and I said, 
was that Randy Rhodes? And you, the whole, the whole entire like studio just starts laughing and they're like, are you serious kid? And I'm like, yeah, dude, that was like some of the craziest shit. They're like, you've never heard that. I'm like, no, they're like, that's, that's Van Halen. That's fucking Van Halen. But that's the feeling that you get the first time you hear finger tapping as a kid or any human being, because it, it really does sound like a magic trick. It really sounds like you've summoned the spirits of the dead. If you can do that, which like now of a three-year-old in, in Bali can do. <laughs> well, I relate to that you know, though. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people don't know that that trick's been around for a long time. It was just Eddie took it to the Roy next Smack level. was doing it, man, in the 20s on the U. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of people uh, don't know this, but um, uh, Billy Gibbons added it many years ago on uh, in the song Beer Drinkers and Hell Razors. And uh, in the middle of his solo, he goes, bam, bam, dun, dun, bam, dun, 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 and then he goes, oh, uh, he does this. He pulls a note and taps with his middle finger. And uh, that that was uh uh, one of the first times I heard a tapping note as well. So it's, you know, I had to look up his name. It's how, have you heard, but that's, this is what I'm talking about creating. You talk about, you know, when we were talking about creating your own style, creating stuff and taking something that somebody else has done and, and flying with it and, and making it your own. That's that made Eddie Van Halen uh, a giant superstar because he was creative enough to take something and and elaborate and do it himself. Well, the you know. style that he actually ripped off, I, I knew I had seen something about. Have you seen Vittorio Camardesi? Uh, He's a guy from like the 60s. He's an Italian guitarist. Yeah, yeah. And he I, did all that. I, yeah. Yeah. And then like he, he was on like some one of those Ed Sullivan style shows and I'm sure Eddie saw it or whatever, but he like straight up explains it on television. Like, oh, yeah. yes, this is how you pull it. Isn't he like holding it's like an, on like a classical guitar, too. So it's not even. Like yeah, it's unfreaking yeah. believable. It sounds so it's clean like, and amazing. It's, oh, yeah. It's like this. This dude was. Well, that's the thing that's crazy, because I was just saying Roy Smeck. Roy Smeck was from the 20s and 30s and he would play like, you know, the, the ukulele and he'd do all the tapping stuff that people think is all cool now. They're like, oh, yeah, so they just invented it with the Fishman Fluent system. No, in the 20s, Roy Smeck was literally doing like four finger tapping like Paul Gilbert and then still smacking and turning around his ukulele like and hitting it like Ingve Malmsteen in the 20s. Like it's been around. Yeah. Is um Siobhan, is anyone doing anything like that now in like the, the violin string world outside of like um, I guess like electric violin and strings are probably doing some crazy stuff, but kind of well what's funny was that story really reminded me of like some of my early experiences hearing classical music records. Like obviously it was more recent, but still kind of before YouTube and the ability to see up close. Like, you know, I would go to the store and buy classical like box sonatas and partitas and listen. And I wasn't seeing videos of these or performances. And I remember like hearing and I think I've told this on the podcast before like this one part in a Bach partita where I was like that's not possible that one violin is playing that and I just obsessed over it because it was like a technique thing that now you know everybody does in like the classical world but um in terms of like yeah electric violin I don't know um being a classical player I think so much of it just seems it's like oh it's been done before because like so many of those things have you know but in terms of like using technology and pedals I think there's a lot of cool stuff that people are doing with you know, layering violins live and like a lot of the technological stuff you can use. But technique wise, I don't know. I can't think of something off offhand. You know, I played I played the stand up bass in orchestra for years. <laughs> I that was nobody would play it. So from uh uh literally from uh second grade all the way into high school years, I was a stand up bass player and You're just a stand up guy, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, but a stand -up the weirdest guy. thing the weirdest thing that we couldn't figure out is I never got that great on it because I didn't realize I was left-handed. So I was playing the stand up bass like this. And then I'd go home and pick up a guitar and play it like this. It didn't occur to me that, geez, <laughs> I might have to restring a big stand up bass here and, and play it like this. You know, it just didn't even. Yeah. That's right. so sick. Orchestral strings that don't exist in, I mean, unless people customize them, like there are no left-handed violins. It just, you just have to suck it up. <laughs> it just is what it is. <laughs> I think that, well, but hey, you should be glad. Reverse the if someone was left-handed, let's put it this way. I couldn't, I would never be, if so, you know, 
I remember some guy wanted me to try and play right-handed and uh, when I, I first started and I, I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And I just, I can't even hold a pick or, or form a chord right-handed. I'm so, as far as guitar goes, I do some things right-handed and, but as far as most everything goes, I'm so left-handed. Um, it's uh, unbelievable. And you know, that's especially for writing checks <laughs> yeah. get ink over my hand, you know, but um, yeah. Well, you need so much precision with a pick. I mean, yeah. Was that, huh? No, I was saying, yeah, you need so much more precision, I think, when you're holding a tiny pick. Like with the violin bow, there's a little bit more. I mean, you have to be precise, but I don't know. A, t- a pick is like kind of like a teeny tiny bow. You have to make such. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a guitar player, but I'm always amazed that like people have this little like micro thing that they're like making all this sound with. So you really, I use, it's I a very tiny jazz pick, too. I mean, there's different size, you know, a normal sure. size pick is, you know, the ones I use are, you know, very small so i could get more uh you know accuracy with my my uh my picking technique um and i customize everything i'm like i have to have everything uh, uh customized like uh, i'll give you an example uh since i joined autograph i had to go back to playing floyd rose tremolos i had to ha- go back to having guitars uh, where i could do dive bombs and everything i haven't done that since the 80s but i had to like literally take a Floyd Rose and because the thing's got fine tuners in the back and I'm used to resting my hand on the butt of the bridge for muting strings and everything. I had to design, come up with a way that I could design a different Floyd Rose so I could play my technique properly and and be comfortable. It's just, you know, I, I'm, and I have to have my toggle switch in the exact place because I go from rhythm to treble so quickly all the time. I have to have my one volume control right next to the uh, toggle switch so I could I could activate, you know, I there's everything. I just keep looking at you and all I hear is that you have reasons for things. And I'm just like, there's nothing about my playing that would ever require to put a, a, a jack here or that. It's just because I'm lazy or I like this better. You're like, no, I actually have a technique that requires that if I don't put my palm at the 15 degree angle right above the strings and put a little bit of play right there i'm not going to be able to hit those arpeggios the three notes of strings at 180 me i'm like dude i'm happy if if i can play a g chord and it's intonated and i'm like custom model i'll take it no one thing that's so cool about guitar no go ahead go ahead no no i was just gonna say benny's one of the guys that i read about that i always laugh at that 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 can play, but ha- has a way better guitar collection than what he, <laughs> how he plays. His guitar collection is totally insane. I would, it's like I, I just die. He's totally not compensating for anything. No, anything like it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hanging. He's got more I got, guitars than Guitar Center does. He's got more. Dude, I want, look what I just, look what I just got. Oh my oh gosh, God. here we go. Here we you, go. you had to get them going now. Well, no, I'm no, sorry. About the guitars because I keep thinking the more guitars I buy and the oh, more yeah. stuff that I buy, I now bought myself a signed Eddie Van Halen 84, 1984 record. I keep thinking if I surround myself with greatness, the greatest guitars, the symbols and all that, that I'll get better. I haven't <laughs> gotten any better. It's depressing. Well, you got You have your strengths. Everybody has their strength. I mean, you're gr- an unbelievable. I'm great at buying culture. things on eBay. <laughs> I, I mean, win bids all I the would, time. Benny, I would give up. I would give up my guitar playing to play keyboards the way you do it. I mean, not, you, everybody wants to do what they don't do. I'm. A, I love playing keyboards. I would love to do it. Well, you should just want to be Siobhan because she's better at keyboards than me too. <laughs> because I'll tell you a story that's really depressing. So I, for I, you see Siobhan, how great she is at playing. So for like. A year and a half, two years of us hanging out. I'm like, okay, so she's this great violinist, but I have this keyboard thing. And like, I'm pretty good at it. Like, I feel good. I feel all right. I'm playing around her. I'm like, okay, I feel comfortable enough where I can open up on the keyboard. And then one day, Siobhan just tries to figure something out on the piano and just plays like Gershwin level piano. And I'm like, I quit. And she's like, I'm not a pianist. I'm like, I'm like then what are you? And what does that make me? <laughs> You're certainly so, Bob, very what, good at criticizing tra- yourself. Sorry. What training did you have that uh, for you to become the 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 violin player that you are? Shot collar. 
Yeah, I mean, shot caller. But no, really, I so I went to I studied all my life. And I have Yeah, I was I admire you so much because I have kind of the opposite experience. I was like, heavily schooled, which has really inhibited my ability to write and be natural. So I no, I grew up I mean, I had a piano in the house. So I grew up playing piano. And then when I went to school, they had a strings program when I was in second grade. So I was like, Oh, there was a girl playing violin, I wanted to play it. And then I just became obsessed. Like I started buying a whole bunch of classical, especially Baroque music, old albums, you know, famous violinists of the day and was just listen to them and be like, I got to figure out how to play this. And my technique was not nearly good enough to do any of it. But I just, you know, played it really terribly for a while. And my mom's like, all right, you got to get lessons, took lessons. And I went to music school. I did an undergrad and master's. Very square. <laughs> a lot of classical yeah. training. So, yeah. So you really... You know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's funny because now what I do for a living, I feel so much that I don't know because I'm not really using, I mean, other than playing the violin, so many of the skills that I'm getting are not things that I learned in school, like how to write, how to improvise, how to use recording software, well, like all the stuff that I actually she's learning. Have to she's do. learning the school of Corey and Benny. Because we had to teach ourselves everything. So, you know, you'll come to our studio and you'll praise us, like, or even someone like David Abrazis. Great job of the drums. Meanwhile, Corey's taking classes online to learn how to mix. <laughs> I'm like in the studio calling people like, what's the quick button to do this? What's that again? How do you use the, what you're putting the compressor after the limiter or the limiter before the compressor? And like, people are like, your stuff sounds fucking sick. But we're like the school of, yeah, we didn't know how to do it, but we just like kind of had friends or the equipment in front of us or like we made it happen whereas people like Siobhan you know what's university and studied Bach arias and all that sort of stuff but it's fun because now we get to have her come down and I'll be like hey write the the, the harmony for this and you could just watch the robot going I can't do the natural third here it will not work <laughs> <laughs> well, so listen, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I'm super grateful for having heavy classical training. It's great for your technique. You learn really complicated pieces. So just about anything that you would have to do in any scenario, you're probably able to do if you had good teachers. But yeah, it's one of those things where you start music school and it's like, all right, you got to learn how to write counterpoint and study music theory and analyze how pieces are written. And when your brain starts off that way, it makes it a lot harder to un unhear those things in your mind when you're trying to work on something that's new it makes it very hard to do something that's creative and innovative without having something to read from or borrow from you know right. so it's really helpful as a player i feel very comfortable in almost any situation I, but yeah when it comes I, to composing I, I it's hard i i really do i mean i wish that i had actually uh, taken taken lessons uh to the point where see i know how to dabble in a lot of different styles of guitar playing um but the one thing that I don't know how to do is I don't know how to play classical guitar at all. It's a whole different animal playing classical guitar. And um, I have some you know, friends of mine that are so good at it, but it, it really is. And I, I've actually tried to look for a left-handed classical. That's kind of difficult to find for some reason. I want one that has a cutaway and stuff. But the thing is, I end up playing, I, I don't even own an acoustic guitar really because if I, this people look at me and they go, you don't have an acoustic guitar? I go, well, here's the thing. I don't play acoustic that much. And if I had an acoustic guitar, I would just shred on it anyway. So it's, it's like it's pointless for me. You know? I wouldn't play it the way it's supposed to be played. I would just sit there and be I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to picture Jimmy sitting around a campfire, just like by <laughs> Hey, guys, by the way, I really, I, I mean this. Like, if you've not seen Jimmy Bell play, just stop this. Just stop. Like you just. I it's mean, if this insane. is the if this is the end of the road for you guys, just go watch him. And here's. I have to ask you this, Jimmy, because you joined a band, Autograph, which you know the 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 very hard word of it is is a legacy act, right? It's a band that had a big hit back in the day. But you joined that band, and like every night you get a guitar solo. I see people everywhere posting you, and like you go on stage and you do the equivalent of like what they did in the 80s during that whole like Eddie Van Halen time but like you had to prove you were Randy Rhodes you had to prove you were Vito Brada by comparison to C.C. DeVille and you just go up on stage as this lefty and if I had never seen you and now you're just like hey that turn up the radio bands playing at the Wolf Den right and I walked over and I saw fucking Jimmy Bell playing I have goosebumps bro 
because the I, well, I watch your stuff and it's it's literally maniacal you're playing. And I have to ask you, how does the crowd feel now being a band? I feel like rejuvenated. And how does the band feel? Because, you know, their original guitar player has done so much amazing stuff as far as in soundtracks and all that. Uh, but well, now he, there's you. Know, you. They're, they're, you know, um, Steve, their original guitar player, uh, he was a, a very, you know, very school guitar player. He even has books out on two-handed tapping and uh, multi-finger stuff. I mean, he's uh, a, a great guitarist. And how the whole thing had ever come about is him and I, you know, we're, we're friends. We became friends. And, um, you know, they'd play autograph and play, come around, play, you know, down in Mohegan or somewhere in Connecticut or Mass. And I'd go see him and hang out. Then I'd become friends with the rest of the guys. Um, and, uh, it just so happened that, uh, Steve quit the band and, uh, he, he wanted to do something totally different. Now, if he had gotten, if, if they had fired him, um, which wouldn't happen, but if they had fired him, uh, that would have been a whole different thing as far as the fans accepting me. Um, but Steve quit on his own and I came in extremely polished I came in like I, I had uh, I had a few weeks and I, you know, here's the deal. I, I, I saw it at Steve quit. OK, I saw it. I mean, you know, he, he did a big post. I quit autograph. I'm going to go off and do something else. Uh, I wish the guys luck. So I, I got in touch with Randy Rand, the bass player right away. I said, Randy, uh, I'd like to audition for this. Um, I said, I think this is something I, I would really like to do. So he says, we have a very short list. <laughs> he says, well, well, he says, I'm going to add you to it right now. Now, they already kind of knew how I played. Um, but then they, you know, uh, I was talking to him. So he gave me he talked to the guys and they said, yeah, let's give him three songs. Um, so they gave me the three songs. I had three songs learned instantly. I said, give me three more. Give me, you know, so I, it ended up that within two weeks, I had their whole set list done. And then I started working on vocals uh, with the singer, Simon. So I'd be, uh, you know, FaceTiming him and, uh, you know, learning harmony parts and everything. So by the time I went out to L.A. and rehearsed three days before the first show, uh, but they, that, and then they called me and said, OK, look, we're just going to give you the next three shows. You're going to play the next three shows. We'll see how it goes. So I go to L.A., rehearse with him for three days within one song of us playing one single song, they knew I was their guitar player. It, it took one song and then they were, that was it. And, and then I ended up playing the whole set. And that night, the next night, uh, uh, that night, Simon went home, uh, wrote up a big, uh, you know, a big announcement. And it, it, you know, it went public on Wednesday on that, on that Wednesday. And I don't think they were expecting the response that they got like they knew who they knew who i was and i mean they, they they didn't know a lot about you know what i had for a fan base and and what i guess i've done with you know in europe and everything you know with house of lords and stuff but it it really went viral in other words like the response was like ridiculous that day it was just swamped uh non-stop and um and i think they were very impressed with that but you know I went to that show, that very first show, and we played, and it sounded like we had been playing together for years. And that's what really impressed them so much. It wasn't like, you know, my first gig was, you know, it was good, but it could be, you know, it, it could be better. It was our, like our first gig was amazing. So it was one of those things. We had it. We locked in. We sounded like we were playing together for years, and, it sound, and it's a different band. I bring something different to them. And they really like that. Uh, there's, I bring something else. And, you know, it was very difficult uh, replacing an icon because uh, Steve Lynch is an icon. But um, so I was, you know, I got to admit, I was a little nervous about that. But their fans just really uh, uh, were so receptive and welcoming uh, to me into the band that it was, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything better. And it's been progressively better and better and better and better all the time it's just ridiculous it's it's i i couldn't be happier really you know i what i equate you to i equate you to like the david lee roth 
a career directly after uh, Van Halen, not like current David Lee Roth. I mean, like like eighties, um, yeah, yeah. you know, Jason Becker, Steve Vai, uh, because when you know everyone's like, oh, Van Halen is going to be so much better than Roth. Roth is like, oh, there's this dude named Steve Vai, Stevie Vai, and there's this guy named Jason Becker, and it's like if there was anybody that could compete, there's like these dudes. You, dude, you. Are a guy that when I first saw your videos, because I, I forget who had told me about you, because I we've been doing <clears throat> the demos for Lost Symphony, and I was still looking for like new people that I thought would be cool to approach. And somebody had sent me one of your videos. Uh, maybe I don't know if it was John Denae. Someone was like, "Dude, you gotta you, you gotta check out Jimmy Bell." And I remember you're just sitting in your room in front of your curtains, like unplugged. Because <laughs> if anyone knows Jimmy, he plays left-handed, and he a lot of the times plays unplugged because it's like the neighbors can't possibly hear the shred. So like, and he just <laughs> plays these these rockabilly, like insane up and down. Like it looks like you're, you're 120 frames per second, but like it's not. It's just you playing, and you're just hanging out, and like your 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 fingers don't even look like. It's crazy, dude. It's absolutely crazy. So I can only think to myself that when you joined Autograph, it's got to be like when David Lee Roth was like, but there's this guy, Stevie Vai, that's playing this heart guitar with like 17 fucking necks. So I don't know what Eddie's doing, but like this dude's going to, he's going to be fine. Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that. You know, the thing is, uh, you know, Stevie, uh, Steve Vai now, that's, that's a whole different ball game. He was, you know, uh, I had the, he was already established with Frank Zappa, but, you know, I, I had to go and I, I had to make an impression. You're not established? Come on, Jimmy. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying, no, I had to go. I had to go make an impression to people that hadn't seen me before. So right. it was, you know, I, I, I had to step up to the plate. I, I had to come up there. And, and I have this theory about when I play. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But when I play guitar, I, I kind of go for the juggler. <laughs> that's, that's how I think of it. You know, it's like I always I want to go for the most insane thing that I could possibly do, but not not to the point where uh, it's going to be annoying. But, you know, I've, I've had, you know, throughout my life, I've always been a, a fast player, you know, especially back in the 80s. And so, I, I mean, I, Benny, I can t tell you stories. I mean, th this program could go on for five hours. I could tell you things in my past, how many it can I've done that I, and how many close calls to success that I've had. It's been insane. Insane. So, um, I, I think that we'd definitely love to hear some of those. We, we, uh, so we do have a full other, we've got about 10 minutes left in this episode, but then a full other hour. So maybe we can plan on part two diving into some of those. Um, but I want to touch sure. on one thing you said, just because we try to make sure this, this show is somewhat uh, informative and educational. Uh, preparing for that audition, you went so far above and beyond that when you showed up for your audition, you were stage ready, right? You were you could have yeah. walked on. That I've, I've heard from so many different people in every like industry uh, and any, any, any scenario, like if you want it, like if you're competing against other people and you want it and you walk in like you already have it and the, the people that are, you know, are actually making that decision don't have to go, oh, okay, this guy's got potential. Like they go, oh shit, he's ready. He's here. Like the success rate, at least in my experience is near a hundred percent. If you go in with that attitude and that amount of preparation. So that's just a good lesson in general. It, it, it was, I mean, um, right from the bat, you know, them giving me three songs and then me requesting more. And they said, okay, well, learn these two. And then I said, well, why don't you just send me the whole list, what you guys do live? And 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 let me just you That's know, such see such a baller move, Jimmy. I know. <laughs> well, hold on, just to, just to reiterate that with Lost Symphony, just for, so you guys are aware, Jimmy did like almost, I think he did chapter two and chapter three and like one f file swoop. Like he was working on on multiple <laughs> records at a time and didn't even know it because when we had Jimmy there, he was because he was one of the guys in the studio. We did this with Matt, but like Jimmy 
especially because Matt, like, is a town over. Jimmy would drive from Connecticut again from, like, the crack of dawn. He's like, you guys ready for nine? I have a seven-hour drive. I'll be there at probably maybe 8.30. And he'd show up, like, ah, my hands are rusted. He's already destroying us. And, we're like, Corey and I are just laughing. He's like, why are you laughing? Because you're playing. It's amazing. And we would just be like, okay, is there a part on another song he could do? And we would just be, like, trying to find open sections. Because we're like, he's got to be on everything. Who are we going to find that's going to possibly be better than this? And then Jimmy would always call me so earnestly afterwards. Benny, do you think we got it? Like, do you, <laughs> should I drive back? Like, should I turn around right now and miss my paying gig with, with Beyond Purple? Or whatever the band you were in that moment. Like, because the thousands of bands that, like, beg you to be in them. Like, Benny, did I get it? And then Corey would literally, the only problem we'd have would be like, so which take do we use? Yeah. Do we keep a whole take? Do we mix this awesome part of this take and that take? Like, I kind of like that it was one take, but man, look what we he could, did in yeah, this we take. Could re- we could release like eight different versions of all these songs with a different well, Jimmy Bell songs. I've had people, I've had people do that many times. Like, uh, matter of fact, I did a song for a buddy of mine and he had me do three different solos, uh, you know, three solos. And each one of them was a little different. Uh, almost the same, but a little, you know, slightly different. He actually, you know, thank God for the, you know, pro tools, you know, cut paste, you know, he went boom, boom, boom. And he, he made a solo that he liked out of everything that I did, you know, just chopped. Well, it we could people. actually write songs because you do so much stuff like in E or certain things that we could replicate that we could, we have so many takes. Like, I mean, there were times we did 20 takes and you're like, Betty, well, we should do the harmony here. We should do that. And, like, and how about the counterpoint? And then Corey be like, well, technically, if he does this to this, we could do this and that and that and this. And Jimmy would just be like, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? All right, punch <laughs> me in for this. And he would just sit there crazily. We could write a whole, like, 10 more Lost 70 records and never call you again. But along those lines, before <laughs> before we wrap up the episode, I want to ask, um, how do you go about writing solos? Is it mostly improvisation? You go with how you feel and then you kind of, like, piece it together? Because I'm always curious about people that improvise or write, like, what their strategy is. <laughs> My, my, when coming to uh, coming to the Lost Symphony thing, um, I I uh, I did everything on the fly right there at the studio. Um, that's why I usually do things that are either hit or miss. Um, on the last couple House of Lords records, I actually I, I you're gonna laugh at this, but I I don't like to do long guitar solos. Anyway, I like I like songs. I don't like instrumentals. I, I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but I don't. I, I don't like. I don't like guitar. I hate myself, Jimmy. So the fact that I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm an I, instrumental I, band. Ben just likes just to punish just, people. It's, it's it's just like a giant metaphor for my existence. I, I don't. You know, I can't sit to a, a song complete instrumental all the time. I like I like vocals. I told you. You know, I'm an ACDC fan, so I like a song, uh, a thirty. 30 second, 45 second guitar solo, a minute long at the most, and I'm done, you know, uh, in, in and out. Uh, and, and that's the what I like. In to do and stuff. out of love. Yeah, baby. No, but I, hear, so, I, I can hear it in your soloing. You have a, you, you hear melody. You have a really good sense for like, yeah, melody. Because he puts the solo. his balls to the wall. <laughs> but anyway, go on. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go on. No, but I'm just saying, Benny's the one interrupting. He's losing his mind. Uh, I at least apologize for it. (laughs) So that's, you know, but I do, the last couple House of Lords records, I actually, um, I sat and worked out some solo parts as opposed to freelancing like I did on most of the other uh, records. And I found it it helps to go in and have some sort of an idea of what you want to do. And basically, I do that so I don't waste time. Uh, uh, who's ever, you know, whatever studio I'm at. I, I well, don't, hold on, I don't, this is really important because you, you you alluded to this. So, you know, you told everybody that you played off the cuff, but you didn't just really play off the cuff because Corey and I had been maniacally listening to these mixes over and over and over going, well, what could what could it be? And we know what we'd want to play because we can't play it. So we we know. We, we've thought out every possible solo, every possible tasty thing, and then it's like we go to play it and it just sounds like ACDC. And it's like, Fuck! And then you walk into the studio, you're like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Meanwhile, you can play anything. We're like, well, just outline the C minor and then just go to this here and then go bluesy. You're like, okay. And then you're like, like this? And then Corey and I be like, oh my God, it's the new sound. And you're just like, like, do I do it right? And we're just like, he did it again. 
No, but you know what's great is that you can hear in your solos that you are a risk taker and you like to go for the jugular, like you said, that it's like there's something that's really magical about that spontaneity and about feeling secure in your own playing that you can just do. Yeah, you can just do something off the cuff because that's that's really, really hard to engineer or to to do when you're kind of like trying to compose it. You know, there's some things that just happen in the moment that are really hard to replicate. It's true, but, you know, uh, also, you know, I... uh, that being said, I also take a chance. Like there is something really magical about having something of uh, everything worked out very precisely. But with me, uh, mo- uh, when I go for it, um, you know, sometimes I'm extremely happy with what I've done. And other times I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you know I'll, I'll go back and say that. That's why I'm always questioning myself on the Lost Symphony thing, because I'll be calling Benny on the way home. Are you sure you like what I did? Are you sure you like well, what I did? That, that, that explains but- something. Because you told me you like Aldi Miola, okay? And tell me if this is right. I was watching recently. It's a very moving performance. It's Paco De Lucia's last performance with Aldi Miola. Have you seen it? Y- yes. Okay. So Aldi Miola and Paco De Lucia, when they sit on stage, every time they go to solo, they have this certain look to them. They're like, I'm going to nail this now. And as they're doing it, they kind of have like this, I'm nailing it. Paco, are you watching me nail it? And then they're kind of like, look at the audience like, and then like every once in a while, there's a little bit of contemplation. Like, do I smell something with a little umami backstage? And they do that. You do not have, like you're a stoic player. Like you're just in the moment, but you don't have like that piss and vinegar, like the David Lee Roth, I'm going to fuck your girlfriend thing. The Aldi Miola is not even doing that. He's just telling Paco he's better than him. And then Paco's like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to rebut you with this. <laughs> you don't have that. You just go in and you're just reckless abandon. It's just like you're channeling it from somewhere else and it just comes out of you. And you're like, was that good? Was that good? Like, And then after and- you lay down the craziest thing we've ever heard, you go, all right, cool. I'm going to lay a harmony down on top of that. And we just, <laughs> like, ah, you're like, how do you even know what that was? You know what that was? I don't even know what that was. I slow it down. I, I like that term reckless because that's how I am. I'm, I'm very reckless on guitar. I, I like I said, you know, this there's, there's people that I, I could compare my guitar playing like this. There's people that are that are a fine wine and my guitar playing is like a bottle of Jack Daniels. I, go, I just like it's you, you never know what's going to come out of me. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that it's always, uh, you know, something that I get across. But I, it, there's a for someone who has the t- uh, the way that I my personality is, uh, I'm very mild, very you know friendly, very uh, quiet. Um, I, I have a lot of anger in my guitar playing. Uh, it, there's a lot of like when I play, it sounds like I'm it's ferocious, I'm angry. ferocious, or yeah, whatever. It's because, and I don't even know where that comes from. So maybe I I have all this inner shit that that's inside me that I, I let out from in my personality. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell people who are listening, hold on. There's a song, Lost Symphony, on chapter two with David Abraziz on drums called The Garden. And there's like a guitar-a-thon between, it's the only time we actually sat and like wrote something specifically around guitar because Rusty Cooley had asked us, could you give me something in E to burn? We're like, all right, man. Well, <laughs> whatever, Rusty. We'll write it for you. And Rusty, if you, the only way I can, uh, he's definitely like one fifty one. You know what I mean? Like he's like, dude. People yes. say that I don't have a certain feeling. I have, I have a feeling. It's just one feeling, and I kill it. And I love that no, about him. He's like one fifty one. People over the head with his guitar while he plays. That's that's right. his feeling. <laughs> but like with you, True anger. So they have. Rusty, we have Rusty Cooley, we have Joey Concepcion, who's like literally a, a, another fucking wizard level player. I Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> Kelly playing, Matt, Siobhan on electric violin, and then Jimmy fucking Bell. And I'm telling you, every time I hear it, I'm like, Jimmy Bell. And the thing is, is when we were editing it together, we had Rusty Cooley into you and now Rusty Cooley the thing about Rusty Cooley was he was the four note per string he was the fastest guy there was like that was it like you want to hear a guy that's as fast as Badio that's Gilbert fast it's Rusty Cooley you're like Rusty if Rusty literally just had Bach in his mind and and that's fucking amazing Bach playing blues Bach plays blues through the lefty crazy guy named Jimmy Bell and I don't know how the fuck you do it dude but I it's the craziest thing on the entire record and the fact you can play with Joey Kelly Siobhan and it's still like Paul's sitting there like smoking weed wait who's that again (laughs) like that he won't he doesn't care about anybody else he's like who's that guy 
Because all, right. all of a sudden, this you'll is the epic the end of yeah. episode rant that Ben say that routinely glad, goes on. I'm glad we got the rant out of the way. Ridiculous! Because now we can now we can wrap up part one with Jimmy Pell. Uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us in this first thank hour. Thank you so much. We How we find you? It. I loved it. I, I hope my phone doesn't die because it's not plugged in. <laughs> oh, well, we'll, uh, we we'll wrap this you, up man? real quick. Yeah, what's yeah. your what's your like website? JimmyBell.com or uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, J I M I B E L L dot com, and um, yeah, you know, uh, go check that out. And uh, of course, uh, anytime you if uh, if you're into that eighties uh, stuff, uh, please come and see uh, autograph. If uh, you know, we're we're all around the U S. Uh, playing playing festivals and and whatnot and of course uh all that stuff is on autographbandcom uh, and um you know it, it's it's good facebook me i i answer everybody uh you just got to know how to spell my name right i spell it and not because jimmy hendrix is lefty but uh i i did it sort of like that i spell it j-i-m-i-b-e-l-l so if you find me uh, and you send me a message, even, even if you call me an asshole, I'll write you back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Check out 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast. We will see you on part two with Jimmy Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, we've made a, a last minute decision. We're going to do an outro this time where we normally do a throwback clip. But we're not doing a throwback clip this week because we've been talking about Jimmy Bell. And we're pretty sure you guys may not know how sick he is. So roll that beautiful bean slash bean. Jimmy Bell footage. Okay. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.